0: What is up everyone and welcome into episode 43 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from MikeSlessons.com and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Guys, if you are into information density, then this is the episode for you. There's way too much for me to even tell you about. Just know there's going to be drum videos of the week and education stuff about subdivisions and featured artist Carter McLean, gear review, 13x6, solid cherry snare drum, listen to questions, pick of the week and we'll check out what's going on at Vic's Drum Shop. Let's get to it. I think I think everything that happens before we press record should someday be the podcast. I mean, I hope Skype doesn't have some sort of mystery record function. <laughs> Dude, could you imagine? Oh, goodness gracious. Do you guys want to know why Mike and I can be so positive? It's because we get all the trash out way before we ever press record. And we're not talking about drumming or the drum industry. We're talking about life. We just kind of vent... Get it all out of our system, and then we press record. Yeah. So. so welcome in. What is episode what forty three? Yeah, that's why I wrote episode forty two on the email I sent you. <laughs> did you? I? Al- <laughs> I think I did because I always just I just cop I just forward like the last one that I sent you until yeah. it's like four emails behind them. Like, oh yeah, I think we're on forty seven now. So yeah, episode forty three. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. I mean, it's looks it's, sunny outside. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of kind of been it's been a really wet spring. I don't know what's going really?
1: on. Yeah, I guess it's good for for you know the rivers and stuff but not so good for the old mental health no no but you know whatever i mean the weekend's coming up so supposed be beautiful i'm going to go down to the beach for a couple of days so take the dogs well and deserved well deserved man congrats
0: You're i will ahead. be in nashville that's right are you gonna be there for the whole weekend uh yeah uh, well i fly out tomorrow and then thursday is a full day of setup at an incredible studio it's called the tracking room um you would be bored out of your mind if i listed everything that's been recorded there but it's a very um Highly used studio for sure. So, uh, and then we decided to invite people, but unfortunately we only had room for 25 people. So we threw out like a cattle call and we filled it up in about two minutes. And uh, so, yeah, so we'll have 25 people that'll come to this very, very special event. And I just asked Meinl to, you know, film a clinic and so we're going to do the four stage practice method and i just really think uh, you and i talked about it in previous podcasts but minol has a huge reach to a lot of people that honestly don't know what i do they know that i'm a minor artist maybe but they don't know what i actually do and um, i want them to see this stuff so and i think it'll help a lot of people organize their practice routines which that cannot be a bad thing when is that happening so it's actually happening on the 27th which is friday okay um, and just for any of our listeners that are in Nashville, honestly, we, we really do only have room for 25 people in this studio. So coming out, it, we can't fit anybody else. Uh, we, we even have a list of like 25 alternates. So if anyone on the top 25 list emails us and cancels, then we call an alternate right away and put them in so well
1: hopefully they listen to this
0: too late and they can't even get there anyway exactly yeah <laughs> so it's called uh, mike Minel and green tea i'm shipping out uh <laughs> since since it's going to be in nashville and they're used to nothing but sweet tea i'm shipping out four cases of the tea that i drink which tastes like i don't know like you mowed your lawn while eating tree bark <laughs> and my my goal is just to catch capture 25 nashville natives on camera taking their first sip of buttered ass green tea and just have them like, just the faces that they're going to make and be like, how do you drink this? And I'll be like, all right. My guess is everyone's going to say this is not tea. <laughs> exactly. They will. They're like, that is actually not tea. And I'll be like, well, according to the ancient culture that invented it, it is, but we'll just leave it at that. So anyway, so yeah, so it should be fun. So I'm doing that. Um, and then, uh, yesterday I had a crazy TV meeting, Yeah, what in the world is going on with that? So about three years ago, um, some producers uh, that work for Bravo and A&E came to me and wanted to do a reality show on, kind of on Mike's lessons, on everything. And it was at the height of trash reality, and I just, I didn't even entertain it. Like in the meeting, the meeting literally took five minutes. It was in L.A., and I just said, look, I'm honestly just not interested, not even a little bit. Well, recently, there's a a show that some people might be familiar with called Fixer Upper, and it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. And it was the first time that I'd seen a reality show where I thought all they do is find positive aspects of these people's lives, and, and they're helping people create a new home. And there was just nothing negative about it. You know, I mean, maybe every once in a while there's a scripted like leak in the roof. And they're like, oh, we've got some drama. Yeah. But it was never personal drama. They were never digging into people's lives and creating drama. And I just thought, wow, I hope that reality TV is heading in this direction because this is actually good. I feel good. I, I couldn't care less about home improvement, but I like watching the show. So anyway, so that that kind of uh, piqued my interest. And then I happened to give conga lessons to uh, the president of a TV station here in Northern California, a few TV stations. So we were talking about that positive aspect. And I said, man, my camp's... They, they would be like the greatest TV episode ever because they have this beautiful arc to them. Everyone comes in kind of cocky. We have, not cocky, but just pretty confident. You know, they know who they are as drummers. And we have our orientation dinner and they're all sharing their little iPhone pictures of their drum sets and they're so happy and everything's great and we're here at drum camp. And then day one happens the next day and it's, it just, it's like a train wreck just because they're finally seeing all their weaknesses and their weaknesses are being pointed out in front of a group of other drummers. They're on stage. It's not a 30-person camp where you can hide. It's an eight-person camp. You will be on the drum set, yeah. and you will be exposed. And so then the depression sets in, and that's the lowest. Of the you know Day two and day three, we call it suicide watch. People honestly want to fly home. And uh, we pull together and talk them out of it. And then we start building and building and building. And then there's this huge peak where they realize like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy you showed me my weaknesses. Cause now I get to go home and practice them and I'll be a better drummer. And no one's ever told me this stuff before. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a really beautiful thing. So, and then we have our end of the camp dinner. And that is like this moment where eight strangers from different religions, races, genders all around the world. They can't imagine their lives without each other in them anymore. And it's only been six days. So I was telling the the president this and he was like, I've got some people you should meet (sighs) because they they run a production company and they do a lot of shows for HGTV and A&E and Bravo, but they only do positive ones. So anyway, so that's what it was about. So we had our meeting and um, I told them my biggest fear, which is I don't want you to ruin my camps. Yeah, right. Uh, The people that come to these camps are already nervous, sticking real – I mean I have cameras, but I don't have like – you know a rig on my shoulder with a light in their face yeah uh, i'm like so these guys are already nervous that that's not going to make it better and then the beauty that i was talking about how would that beauty still happen in camps then my biggest fear over everything is what happens after a year once this thing is out and people have seen it who signs up for camps next year only the people that want to be on tv yeah so that was what I expressed to them and um, I'll tell you guys more details in the future but I can tell you right now you don't have to worry about there being some weird reality show on drum camps that, I squashed that right away but I did want to use their power to expose the world to what beauty does happen inside of our drum camps and we are going to do that but it won't be what you would think of um, so yeah. I'll give more details as I know more details I can tell you right now that the next step is that we shoot a pilot that's it Yeah. So. cool man yeah, so it should be fun. So let's talk about something uh, sad. Megadeth. Yeah, I mean, what a what a shocker! Yeah, and so now, have you ever met Nick Menza? Did you know him at all? I didn't really know him, but I met him
1: several times at Nam and stuff because he he was a SoulTone artist, I guess, at one point. And I, you know, I got, became friends with those guys, so they were they were always introducing me, reintroducing me to him every year
0: at their booth and stuff. So yeah, he he seemed like he was pretty involved with Soul Tone. Yeah, he did a lot of demos and stuff for their website. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it, like cuz you know, sometimes guys with that much stature might be like, well, I play your symbols, but don't ask me to do anything more than that. Yeah. And I mean, he was he did a lot of stuff for them. Yeah. I mean, I think he's
1: he's all over their YouTube channel and stuff. Great, you know. I mean, he's a he's an icon of of
0: thrash metal. So it's a big loss. No, and he was one of those guys where I remember having to choose between (laughs) Lars and Nick as far as what do I want to learn? And when I heard Lars, I was like, oh, I think I can do that. And when I heard Nick, I was like, I know I can't do that. (laughs) So I am now a Metallica fan. Um, Nick was just so precise, so clean. And like you said, I mean, it was at the time, it's kind of funny because people are always trying to compare what's happening now to what was happening then. They're like, oh that's no big deal and it's like well you don't understand what we have now couldn't have been possible unless there were people like nick menza yeah. pushing it forward at the time at the time that was unbelievable you know um and the tuning i mean we were getting this new thwack sound on the bass drum so that you mm. could hear the clarity of the speed rather than the bass drum having tone so there was so much influential stuff happening between guys in that genre and nick menza was definitely one of them so sad loss and our our our. Uh, our thoughts and our condolences definitely go out to his family and friends for sure. Now, from the sad to the weird, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on at Vic's drum shop? You know, I don't know. Um, apparently, <laughs> <Sweet answer. laughs> I mean, I, I
1: guess Vic, Vic is now just uh, gone. I don't know.
0: I, don't, I, I haven't heard any more than just the official statement, which you have. You have in front right? of me. Yeah, I'll just read the first paragraph. Um, it says, <laughs> This is from. Uh, Vic's Drum Shop Facebook page. Uh, It says, effective today, Victor Salazar will no longer be affiliated with our store. That first sentence just was like, wait a minute. What do you mean he'll no longer be affiliated? (laughs) Yeah, what does that mean? That's insane. It doesn't say like... Vic has, you know, given the reins to our manager. It was like, affiliate, that that is the first thing that, so, effective today, Victor Salazar will no longer be affiliated with our store. We wish him nothing but the best of luck with his future endeavors and will continue to build upon the foundation put into place here. The visions of the store remain unchanged. To serve drummers and the drumming community, community by providing unmatched service and access to the best drum and percussion instruments. So, the, so the, the, the vision, but not the visual of the store. Because the I mean, they have T-shirts with Vic's face all over it. Bro, they have practice pads with his face. They have keychains. (laughs) They have drum heads, and I'm not kidding. He's on the bottom of Remo drum heads. I mean, it's, it's, it's. I mean, you should see the the comments. Everyone's going, "You got to change the name. You got to change the name." And normally, I would say, "No, you don't." But it's like, I don't know. That guy branded himself pretty hard. You know? Um, Yeah. I mean, there's just certain people. There's okay so a good example would be Memphis Drum Shop can stay Memphis Drum Shop whenever Jim Pettit decides to move on to something else because yeah. Jim has only branded himself to to us to the community of players and, and right. the endorsements and stuff but he but he hasn't made himself the face of that place Dana Bentley it's about half and half yeah you know Dana really lets the store be the star but Vic was the star of Vic's. I mean, if you went to Vic's drum shop, more than likely he was going to give you the tour. He yeah. went, he was proud. He wanted to show you the place. So for that first statement, effective today, Victor Salazar will no longer be affiliated with our store. That's like his mom calling him out because they said Victor <laughs> Salazar, not Vic. I, I didn't even know I didn't even know what Vic was short for until this. So um, yeah, hopefully when we know more, you guys will know more. I mean, we Mike and I both. Have no desire to spread uh anything that we don't know to be true, so at the moment that is all we know to be true so yeah goodness gracious Pretty interesting. weird I mean he spent yeah. years you know building that thing up, and I think so I guess i don't know
1: i mean I, I hope the store is strong enough to just maintain it should be at this point, but yeah they got to buy new merchandise that's for sure
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't i mean I don't know like does he get a royalty cut now on his? Face practice pads. Uh, and those t shirts
1: are pretty epic with his face on it.
0: Well, that's the thing is like, I mean, it's clearly. I was looking at the merch today and I was thinking he had to have been thinking the same thing that Phil Collins thought when he put out the Face Value album, which is like, I'm not, I don't think I'm all that. You wouldn't put this face on the front of an album cover. Right. I'm, right. I'm trying to let you in. And I think with Vic, it must have been something where somebody probably made it as a joke and he was like, dude, that's so like the obey stuff with andre the giant it's like that's oddly iconic yeah yes (laughs) let's release that um and then it became a a a character character how do you say that word caricature 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 Caricature.
1: Caricature.
0: that's caricature that's gonna be my new band hi we're caricatures (laughs) nope just caricature it's singular and anyways but caricature (laughs)
1: caricature yes (laughs) Yes.
0: Uh anyway, so, I mean, when you'd see him at NAMM, it'd always be in the black suit with the big hair. And it was just like, that's the dude from the T-shirt. So, yeah. pretty crazy stuff. So, we wish nothing but the best for Vic. We wish nothing but the best for the store. And that is very honest. Okay, let's get to something fun. Man, you and I are inundated with videos and social media. So, I wanted to just ask you, in the last week since we talked... Has there been a video that just kind of came across your feed? Could be Facebook, Instagram, anything that just kind of caught your eye, or even a drummer playing something that caught your eye and made you just stop for a second?
1: Yeah, it's funny. This was actually a, an odd week where it wasn't some new thing. It was actually a classic clip that someone had reposted. It was uh, yeah, it was Max Roach giving a lecture. Like, he, oh, so he was basically just talking to I think it was like maybe elementary school kids or something, and they called him the professor for a reason. I mean, he was like into academics and culture and, and all of that. So he had a great presentation about, and it's real simple, uh, just about how the drum set basically represents the United States in the most perfect way. Like the way that th- the drum set was formed. I mean, I it, it, it the the bass drum and the snare drum represent the European influence. The cymbals represent the Turkish influence. Turkish, yeah. The, the toms represent the African and Africa. the American oh. Indian influence.
0: How is that not more obvious until you say it? Like, I would never would have thought of that. And then as soon as you say it, I can name what you're about to say next. Because it's like, of course it does. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's so, and it's such a perfect icon. I wish like the government would understand that. It represents the United States of America in one instrument.
0: Oh. I mean, Man, I'm so je- I'm burning with jealousy, <laughs> right? Yeah, screw that guy. I'm burning with jealousy because it's like anytime somebody explains something that I never thought of in a way that I never could have explained it. It's like I don't get jealous of drum licks. I get jealous of analogies and explanations and deliveries. And that yeah. what you just said. It's like ah, oh, how did I not come up with that? <laughs> but if I would have come up with it, somebody would have been like, you know, Max Roach said that like 35 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like, ah, Rizzle Snats. Oh man! Yes, that's it's super incredible. Cool. And then the whole time they're they're looping like he's doing uh,
1: the drum. Also waltzes underneath. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's great. It's 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 flying around Facebook. I, it's I don't know what it's taken from, but you can find it. I mean, it's it's super short. It's like a minute. I basically just repeated the whole thing. But just to hear him say that again just reminded me that like you know we think we go to the shop and we just buy a drum set, but it wasn't that long ago that the drum set was invented at like the peak of the industrial revolution and America was really just becoming its its own country. The civil war had ended and the people yeah. were trying to come back together and you got immigrants coming over to help build it, the, you know, the railroads and everything. Right. And
0: then this instrument just pops up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's gotta be people here from all of those cultures as this instrument's popping up that are saying to themselves, I can do that. Like that's what we do at home. I yeah. can do that, you know, and I can add to this thing. And what's even crazier to think is, a hundred years ago, as this you know late eighteen hundreds, so a little over a hundred years ago, as this thing's coming into favor, there had to have been countries that didn't know that it was happening because they don't have YouTube, they don't have right. any social media. There's no one calling on cell phones about it. So at some point, you had to have seen the drum set for the very first time in your country. Yeah, y- you had to have been in Cuba and then been like, "What is that thing?" You had to be in Brazil and say, "What is that American instrument?" And it's just. It's so funny when you say that it wasn't that long ago because it really was not that long ago that this instrument did. I mean, I was just in China, and the instrument is only 30 years old there because yeah. it was illegal <laughs> until 30 years ago. So these people are so just enamored with it. It's it's a pretty amazing thing that we play. I, I hope that everything you just said, everything that Max said, I hope it hits home with some people and they start to care for their instrument a little bit more, care for the tradition a little bit more, research the masters and that stuff. It's really important. Yeah, of course. What was your video? Right. My video actually came out of researching our featured artist, who will be uh, Carter McLean. I was going through, and I honestly only knew about him from from name and from you. He, he's the Lion King guy, right? Yeah, he's been the full-time Lion King drummer for uh, a number of years now. And that's honestly all I knew, and, and when you told me that, I mean, we talked about him in Tons of episodes ago, but when we talked about him, it was kind of like, all right, like I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't really look him up. So today, since we're going to feature him, I started looking him up and I was watching his videos, just, and we'll talk about it more when we get to him, but I want to stay on point with the video. As I was going through it, I found uh, this video. It's on YouTube, and it literally, the name of the video is George Way Walnut Kit 13141624. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is on his page. So if you go to his channel, it's just Carter McLean on YouTube. Um, but the reason I chose this video was it's a groove in 6.8 that took me probably th- much longer to figure out than I would have liked to admit it. <laughs> nice. And it was so beautiful and so textured. And it was one of those things where I was like, do I really want to figure this out? It's so amazing right now, and I don't know what it is. Like, uh, it, was, it was very reminiscent of how I've always felt about Matt Chamberlain. Where it's like, I don't want to know what that is because there's so much magic in that groove. Um, and he's only doing, he's doing two, uh, what has he got? Two uh, Earthworks sr 30 overheads and then a Rode K2 on the kick with no porthole. Mm-hmm. And it's just the fattest, warmest drum sound you could ever imagine. And his playing's just, honestly, it's it's just kind of beautiful. And sometimes, I, I, I don't know about you, but I just get to the point where the note density of people trying to squeeze as much as they can into a 15 second clip just it's just too much for me i can't take it and this was just this was four minutes of beautiful drumming so it's just kind of a refreshing yeah i mean we'll talk about it more but yeah he's got a great touch he really does yeah and he really really plays for the song all right so let's get into some education so i'm sure most people know that when you start off with a pulse in drumming you start to subdivide that into smaller and smaller pieces and so I think of them as ratios, not just as subdivisions, but quarter notes are a one-to-one ratio. Bop, bop. Eighth notes are a two-to-one, one, two, one, two. Eighth note triplets are three-to-one, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and so on and so on. Those are our subdivisions. Well, the first subdivision switch that we probably learn as drummers would be playing a basic rock beat in eighth notes and then playing a fill in sixteenth notes. And we're making a jump from right. one subdivision to the next then another step of that is being able to flow between the subdivisions in the moment inside of a measure, maybe even inside of a beat. And if you ever want to listen to probably the master of this or one of the great masters, definitely listen to Vinnie Cagliuta because he really has the artistry of stretching and compressing time down. He makes you feel like he's pushing on the brakes of the car and then pressing on the accelerator, but the pulse has never changed. And that's through the art of switching and flowing between subdivisions. So was this ever a concentrated effort in your practice to be able to have two beats of eighth notes followed by two beats of 16th note triplets by one beat of eighth note triplets? Yeah, I mean, it was... Um,
1: I, mean, I guess if I think about it, back at the very beginning, when I first learned how to read music, you get that like table of time that's on like, page one with a whole note divided by you know half notes and then quarter notes. So I always practiced it, but I didn't really start... Taking it really seriously until I got into the Gary Chafee books, the Patterns books. Okay. So he has one called Rhythm and Time, which is nothing but mixed subdivisions, and it's it's those and it's a bunch of like etudes. That okay. might be some of the most difficult written music I think for for drumming ever. And there's no like embellishments. There's no rolls. There's no flams. There's no diddles. It's just subdivisions and changing like fives and sevens and triplets and sixteenths. So I would studied that real heavy. And then I studied his other book called Sticking Patterns, which okay, yeah. takes those same ideas, but but instead of playing them as you know single strokes, you play these a2s using nothing but double strokes. So what's happening is you end up you're not changing the double
0: on every beat. The double right. gets kind of mixed in with all the subdivisions happening in. Yeah, could the subdivision could start on the second hit of a double? Exactly. So it's yeah, that's <laughs> super wicked, and
1: that book is also incredibly difficult. And Vinny studied with him, so. You kind of can get a little bit of of Vinny's uh, approach by studying those books. So they're and they're like lifetime study books, um, you know. So yeah, it's kind of always been for whatever reason
0: that's been a focus of mine. I don't know why. Nice man, nice. I like it. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I know that one thing that really helped me was singing against a pulse rather than playing against a pulse mm. and trying to have drums speak against a pulse. Um, you know uh, Eric Moore, yeah, well, when we used to do clinics together back in the day when we were trying to build our career, and we just said why don 't we just why don 't instead of waiting for stores to call us why don 't we just create clinics? So we would rent out a rock club in Sacramento, I'd pay for the club for the day, and we would hold a clinic there and be me and Eric on stage. Well, at the end, obviously, people wanted us to play together. And I'm smart enough to not get anywhere near him on a drum set. (laughs) Uh, Especially eight years ago or ten years ago, whenever it was. So uh, (laughs) when he was shedding for blood. But so I said, Eric, why don't we do this? Why don't we do something that will help the crowd more than us ripping? They've already heard enough of that. Why don't we get up on stage and trade fours with our mouths so they can hear what's inside of our heads? Interesting. Um, And I want them to really understand... At the time, I didn't know what was in Eric's head, so I wanted to learn. Well, I noticed that when we would sing or do our drum speak thing, I stayed in one subdivision and just changed maybe accents. So, you know, and then he was going. And I was like, whoa, uh, you switch subdivisions that fast? Like, I have my 32nd note lick that I've memorized, which goes into my 16th note triplet lick that I've memorized. Right. Um, and he just was actually speaking. I was kind of speaking these memorized sentences that I'd worked really hard on, and he was actually having a conversation. Oh, I thought, so you were like wow. reading a
1: script, and he was just flowing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. it, it was literally that. I had pages in front of me, yeah. and he was at like the poet forum. You know, <laughs> yeah. just sp- I was like, you know, and I'm trying like really hard in front of a crowd not to look overly impressed. Yeah. But I was also like reflecting in the moment. I'm like, wow, I can't even speak. So I started, you know, I would drive and I would just snap and I go. <laughs> I just started speaking these things. And then eventually that came out of my playing. And that's how I actually think on the drum set now. So mm. speaking out loud in drum speak really helped. And I also had to invent my own vocabulary. You know, what is my sound going to be with my voice for a kick? Um, what's a flam? You yeah. know, so uh, black, you know, became a flam for me. Blackum, blackum, black blackum, blackum, blackum. Um, and then, what is my triplet? How do I speak triplets? When you try to go da 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 with one sound, I can't do it fast enough. But bugada was a lot faster, so da So I, I, it all sounds silly, but it really benefited my drumming quite a bit, especially when it comes to this thing about flowing between subdivisions. Now, did I mean? I guess when for everyone, when you first start, it's always beat to beat. Was yes. there
1: was there a point when you consciously said let me change subdivisions on the ands or change the subdivisions yeah. on the, the third part of a triplet?
0: Unfortunately for me, it's it was way too conscious. I literally would sit down and say, okay, I'm, today I'm going to improvise two beats of sixteenths followed by two beats of sixteenth note triplets. So you know, one E and then I would just say one enda. So one E, one enda, two E, two enda, three E, three enda. Okay. And I would improvise that. Then I would switch that one enda one E, two enda, two E. And then it might be one beat of sixteenth notes followed by one beat of sixteenth note triplets. But I'm improvising the drums. So now I've got the rhythm set But can I improvise linear, nonlinear inside that preset of mixed subdivisions? Uh, So I just called it mixed subdivisions. And then eventually, you know, you practice the words long enough, you you just start speaking. But it took some time. I, I mean, if somebody wants to get into it, I would shorten the distance between the mix of the subdivisions. Pick two subdivisions. Um, preferably not ones that are just double time of each other so not 16ths and thirty seconds not 8ths and 16ths but maybe 16ths if you do one beat of 16th notes and one beat of eighth note triplets that's seven notes so you're going to have to alternate what hand starts on you know you'll start the downbeat of 3 with your left hand right if you have one e and a two and a three e and a four and a so something like that And then just keep shortening the distance. Or maybe in the beginning it's one measure of each, then two beats of each, then one beat of each, and then you start splitting up the beats. But, I mean, I've heard Vinny pull the brakes on, you know, four 30-second notes, which takes up an eighth note of time, followed by, you know, two eighth-note triplets leading into the next downbeat. And it was just like, (laughs) why? I mean, did you just not have to go to school? Did you not have friends? Like... How did you have the time to do this? That's how I feel when I watch like Thomas Lang Virgil. I'm like, did you just not have to take out the trash? Like, I mean, did you practice nine hours? How is there enough time in the world to be that good? Yeah. (sighs) Well, some people just have that
1: kind of a brain. I mean, it's just the way it is. So I just want to say there's one one thing that you could, that I used to practice to kind of go, you know, less thinking and more just Mm -hmm. flowing was to, instead of chopping it down into micro chunks and take like a, like an ensemble figure, like a, a, a rhythm out of syncopation. Okay. Like just take one measure out of, of those syncopation pages and just say, I'm going to use that as my anchor. And I'm going to do just play whatever, just make sure I hit those accents. Yeah. So then you're nice. you're kind of just by default, you're going to be mixing your subdivisions because you're not thinking subdivisions. You're just thinking I've got a dotted quarter and an eighth note. What am I going right. to do between those two notes?
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. So, so you're actually soloing even in between the notes. Yeah, you, of the Yeah, you the, rhythms. like
1: f- play the notes as a bass drum and crash as a rule, and then right. whatever okay. you play to connect those two is up to you. And you want to shorten right. it. You want to be longer, faster, slower. It even <clears throat> helped me kind of internalize like polyrhythms because if you don't, if you can sing that rhythm and keep it in time, you don't have to keep track of the pulse. So you can start playing. Really, probably rhythmic stuff or like fives yeah. and stuff. Not even thinking about it. So I need to practice it more, but that just reminded me I did a lot of that um, oh, man. when I was playing a lot of jazz because that's that's the goal is to just kind of flow, like to get like a a bass line that kind of vamps and you can solo over it, but you're not thinking about the beat, you're just thinking about the
0: the accents. I just came up with a cool idea for us. So what if we took maybe the first four bars of the summary uh, summary one in syncopation? And jazz time, zing, 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 zing. keep the little hi-hat on two and four, but every note of that summary, starting with the first note, would be ride and kick, and then the second note is snare and ride. So we make a backbeat, like a, a groove, out of the syncopated rhythm. Okay. So you have dun-dun, dun-dun, dun. It'd be dun-gat, dun-gat, gat dun-gat-dun. And you just kind of go back and forth with it and you, and keep the high out on two and four and just see what it com, comes out. You go know, for it. be kind of cool. I'm, I'm on it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, you're going to the beach. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm going to do it with your 13-inch snare. Oh, man. Well, that's cool. That's a, that's a great idea. I think uh, that's – and the other thing that my teacher, uh, Pete Magadini, taught me, which I think is a very common thing, was – I just always he would have me solo the heads of tunes and a lot of the heads of tunes they're not in a in a single subdivision yeah so if I'm soloing even if it's kind of an up tempo um, uh, what's a uh, satin doll if I'm playing mm-hmm. you know you can you could do that with any song you could take a John Mayer tune and just play the vocal around the drum set and yeah. it, it's he's not going to sing. In constant subdivisions for the whole measure, so there, it'll be mixed up. So good stuff, good stuff. All right, let's get into our featured artist this time. It is Carter McLean. We mentioned him earlier. He is the current drummer for the Lion King. Now, is that Lion King in New York on Broadway, Off Broadway? I know yeah. nothing about this stuff. Yeah, okay.
1: it's, it's the. I mean, it's, I guess it's the original production on Broadway. Okay. I guess there's multiple productions around the world, but yeah, that's the right. first one, and and it's the primary one. And just doing a little bit of research, I I didn't realize that it was the the most successful show ever in Broadway history. Like the most money earned. It's a third longest running show. It's probably going to end up being the longest running show. Wow. They sell out 1700 tickets every night. I'm sorry. How many? 1700 tickets every to see night. A play
0: eight, a, eight times a week about a cub <laughs> whose father <laughs> passes away. That is awesome, yeah, Mufasa. So Carter, the Carter's been on the gig. uh, He started out as a sub back in two thousand two, but then don't ever let don't ever let somebody sub that's better than you. (laughs) It always goes bad. (laughs) Yeah, but Uh, he's
1: done. I mean, this is what kind of blew my mind. He's done. He's he's coming up on three thousand
0: shows of the Lion King. Wait, I. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Can you imagine? Doing it blindfolded. <laughs> well, I did because I mean uh, the Lion King doesn't like improv a lot. I'm assuming it's no, probably zero. the Lion Yeah, King. zero, yeah. zero. I mean, I went and
1: sat in the pit. Uh, it's it's kind of wild. They actually built a soundproof booth for the drums in the pit. So his his drums are like right in front of the conductor, but in a completely isolated office booth.
0: Like, I mean, you mean ceiling and all? Ceiling
1: doors. I mean, wow, plexiglass, small plexiglass windows, like. He's like in his own little cockpit in there. Wow. But he's only like 10 feet away from the audience. It's really kind um, of bizarre. Wow. So anyway, I went and sat in on a show, and it was, I mean, I've done a lot of theaters, so I kind of know you get into this momentum of, you know, here's, the, you know, the first number is this long, and I can gr- right. take a drink of water before the next song or whatever. Yeah. But he had it down to, like, he could check Instagram between playing a triangle and a concert <laughs> page <drum>. strong. <laughs>
0: I'm sure he's stoked that you just said that. Uh, he's like, ah, oh, Mike, the Mike, that's good. We're going to cut <laughs> that out of the podcast. The, nah, I wasn't checking Instagram. I was just making sure that the tickets sold out because I'm just trying to promote the show. Go Lion right. King. It was impressive. And he knew when wow. to go take
1: a bathroom break before intermission. So then he wouldn't get stuck in lines waiting for the bathroom at intermission. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was just like watching the, like a surgeon just show up and do their job and get the hell out
0: of there. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, so you actually know him?
1: Yeah, yeah. He's he's become a good friend. Good guy. Ron Donette actually hooked us up. I'd been following his you know his stuff online for a while, but then because his his aesthetic just kind of matches mine. It's it's more about touch and sound and less about chops. You know, more yep. about feel and groove and less about the physicality of the instrument. Um, but then Ron Donette said you guys should just get together because I think you get along, and he was right. So we just we become friends, and and it turned into me going sitting into the show and doing a feature story on him.
0: Uh, it's an so impressive cool, gig.
1: I mean, I, I I speak light of the fact that he's you know doing the same thing every day and it's become automatic, but
0: it's not an easy show. Like there's oh I yeah yeah I've actually seen the one in L.A. So I've been to it, which you know it's obviously not the New York one, but it's the one right in, on uh, uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, and it's gotta it, be the same. I mean yeah the same. Boat. It's the same show yeah. pretty much, and I was I was blown away. Uh, I was you know because anytime we <laughs> go see anyone play. Even when we listen to music, the first thing I'm thinking is, how would I play this? Could I play this? Could mm-hmm. I pull this off? What if I was in that position? And I was, you know, it, by the end of the first number, I was like, no, that's a no. I could not do that. Yeah, that it's is seriously incredible.
1: demanding. I mean, he's there's a couple. There's one's like a real fast kind of New Orleans-type shuffle thing where his left hand is just going crazy on the snare. And he's playing really? the toms in between. It's got a lot of Peter Gabriel-style kind of grooves that oh. that you couldn't. You couldn't just show up and do. You'd
0: have to work right. this stuff out. Um, yeah. and, and, and well, then not... three thousand shows. I yeah. mean right. he is literally fellowshipped with the art of stage drumming or theater drumming. Yeah. It's it's that's incredible. And, I mean what uh, a I mean the bass the bass player is one of the
1: guys who toured with Steely Dan back in the day. So These I are mean, all ringers. Yeah, I mean can... the bet I mean it's the best rhythm section you can imagine every day. Just getting, you know, together and, and playing really good music. I mean there's 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 a fair amount of downtime where he's just waiting to do a simple swell or something. But the numbers where he's featured, I mean, he's drumming. I had wow. I, mean, I had to wear in ears because it was like full volume
0: playing. Really, there. man, that's fantastic. So I do have a quick question though. This is related to Carter, and I've seen like I, I mentioned in his video, he's playing a George Way walnut kit. I don't <laughs> understand, and I actually know Ron, so. If I'm confused, I mean, the rest of the world is confused as well. Yeah. Is George way and Ron Danette one company? Why are they always featured together? Like, I don't understand what it is. Is George way. Ron. What is it? Ron owns both. So he's good talking to you. Yeah. So he, uh, (laughs) he
1: purchased the, the, the rights to the George way brand a while ago. And he just wanted to revive elements of the classic George way drums. And I think originally his intention was to keep Donette like, focused more on uh, titanium and steel and things like that. And he used George okay. Way to, to focus more on classic wood shells and things.
0: Now, does he make them, or are they made and he owns the company?
1: No, he's, you know, he makes the every, George Way. Yeah, he, he makes does.
0: every drum that, <clears throat> that comes out of George so Way. or So, all those kits that I'm seeing Carter play, those are George Way kits yes. made by Ron. Yeah, so he is a George Way kit artist and a Donette
1: snare drum artist
0: well it's working and Dude, he's playing I, I mean, a I,
1: uh donet stainless steel no a titanium kit in lion king which sounds really fantastic
0: oh man I, I i watched probably 15 of his videos today and i didn't at first i just i wasn't looking at the badges i wasn't trying to figure out what kind of i thought they were all vintage ludwigs uh, yeah. they just sounded so warm and so beautiful and then i was like Those aren't Ludwig badges. And then I started looking, and then I came upon that video that I mentioned earlier, and I was like, oh, my gosh, those are all George Way kits, but they look so vintage. Yeah. But they sound so good. So uh, really cool stuff. Well, guys, definitely check out Carter McLean. And uh, one thing you should know is everything that Mike just talked about, about how he can really throw down. I think you're going to be really pleasantly surprised when you watch his videos because he's not trying to prove a point in any of his videos. I mean, if anything, his point is – I play music. Yeah. I get hired to play music, and I'm proud of it because I kind of mm-hmm. thought, oh, it's a when I see YouTube and I see a drum set, I'm thinking, here he goes. He's going in. <laughs> and it was like – it was probably three minutes of this groove. I, can't, I think it was just called Groove, and it was by Carter McLean. It was on his page. And it was just a 16th-note groove on the hi-hats really simple kick and snare and he's doing it and i get up and i I let the video play and i'm just kind of doing some stuff around the studio here and then i hear this monstrous single stroke roll on the snare that sounded it, it was butter it was pure butter but it was so clean the spacing between every note was just flawless it it sounded like my double strokes on their best day yeah that's and I, I was like yeah and i came back and i because i only heard it i didn't see it and i came back and i was like for the love of God, let that be doubles. And I rerun the video, and it's like, damn it! <laughs> why, do you, why do you have to be so smooth? He's got. Why do you the, have to dress so well? What's the deal? Have you noticed How can one man possess all this talent?
1: <laughs> have you ever seen uh, pictures of Tony Williams' hands? No, you haven't seen. He has like a. Looking, I'm sure you can just find Google image Tony Williams, and you'll see his his hand. He has like a double jointed thumb. That's okay. Kind of a weird, weird position. And Carter has the same like double jointed thumb. Really? So I'm I'm calling
0: unfair advantage. <laughs> he was born with the freakish thumb. That's what it is. I'm looking at Tony Williams' thumb right now. Yeah, Look it's like double jointed, so he can get. it. It's just it's hard to describe. You just have to see it. But that's what's what's going. To, so so Carter's not like actually good, and he never practiced. He just has a double jointed thumb. Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool, cool. If I okay. So, so Whatever he's really takes, just a product Sam. of yeah. He's a product of evolution. <laughs> yeah. He is the next step of humanity. Fantastic. That's what we all have to look forward to. Oh, that is awesome. All right, let's get into some candy gear review time. Bringing it back around to the Modern Drummer 40th Anniversary Signature Snare Drums. Need to uh, send a little <clears throat> word out to uh, who bought the 14? Uh, it was Dave Pruitt? Does that sound right? I don't remember. I think, yeah, I can't okay. I think remember. it's Dave Pruitt. Anyways, um, he bought it, and it was the last one that you guys had at the time. You're getting some more made, yeah. but I was reviewing that snare. I shipped it out, Dave. I thought I was shipping it back to Modern Drummer, so I wrapped it, knowing that Modern Drummer was getting it. Meaning, I wrapped it in the box in like some of the rags that I cleaned my car in, <laughs> and I didn't. I you know, and we had used it in camp to kind of test it out so it had one of my heads on it i left the vader moon gel or the vader buzzkill on there that's like you know got lint and stuff stuck to it so (laughs) dave if there's i i didn't know you just sent me an address and it wasn't until i shipped it i was like oh my god that went out to the customer i thought i was sending it to you to get it all polished up and everything you just sent him a
1: poopy diaper
0: thank you i totally (laughs) did well i mean at least he can just smell the rag and be like oh that's what kind of detailing product mike uses on his car now i know (laughs) Um, so I apologize, buddy. Um, I thought it was going to Modern Drummer to get all spruced up. If I would have known it was going straight to the customer, I would have, <clears throat> I would have given it a little love. So, anyways, I still have the thirteen by six solid cherry. Uh, remind the audience who makes these drums for you guys. It is Bruce Hagwood of RBH Drums in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Very nice. And so this is a solid cherry snare drum, fourteen or sorry, thirteen x six, and it's got a maple. Uh, what would you call that in the middle? It's... Um, inlay. Bert, like a bird's uh, Maple. Eye. Yeah. I think it's bird's, bird's eye. eye. maple inlay. It's beautiful. And then the inside is all cherry, and then it's got uh, cherry reinforcement rings on yep. the inside as well. Yep. Uh, standard hardware, except for the throw-off. The throw-off is a really nice... What is that? A trick throw-off? Probably it's a trick throw-off. The lugs are actually brass lugs, too. They're all brass. Oh, yeah. Brass tube lugs. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. I have it on my kit. <clears throat> I was playing it this morning. So... I wanted to give you guys a review of it just because I think it's a little unfair for Mike to have to review his own stuff. So when I was reviewing the snare, it was really tempting to go full 311 right away. When you see a smaller snare, you just crank it up, right? And I did that, and it sounded like 311, and I got that sound. Unfortunately, I don't like – that's just not a sound that has any relevance to me. Even my side snare is much lower than that. I don't do like the poppy thing. So if you want to go up to that 311, no doubt, Adrian Young sound, you can totally do it. If you then put any kind of gaff tape on it or if you put any kind of muffling, it will instantly become kind of the John Otto nineteen uh, late 90s, early 2000s OCDP cracky snare. It will mm. do that perfect. So then I tuned it down, I I guess I would consider it to be medium tight, and it became a pretty versatile snare. You can get a really good side uh, or cross stick out of it, but you have to put the stick, the tip of the stick has to be much closer to the rim than you're used to on a 14-inch snare. But I was actually surprised, a lot of 13s don't offer a very good cross stick. This had a great cross stick. Uh, I'll show that in the sound demo as well. It wasn't until I tuned it down to what I, for that drum, I could would consider to be a low tuning that the drum became really something that I fell in love with. So it wasn't low like buffy and fat and what Aaron Sterling, Sterling calls, yeah. it wasn't that. <laughs> it was just low for that drum, which actually took it to about where I normally tune my snares. And then, man, I just fell in love. And I it really taught me 13s don't have to be tight. Yeah, exactly. They, they really come alive in that medium to low tuning range, you know. Now I, I haven't yet, and I will uh, before I do the sound demo, but I haven't yet gone low yet, like flappy. I've just kind of gotten to that medium range where it just became a fantastic snare, and I actually kind of like the overtone. I'm going to play it for you guys without any muffling whatsoever, and I kind of like the overtone that it was producing. It's a really pure. It's not doing the wing, 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 wing. wing. Yeah, it's it's got a really pure tone. But the one thing that Um, struck me the most had nothing to do with the size it was that cherry is not maple the Mm. tone of that drum is so different than a maple drum of the same size I mean it's shocking how as soon as I hit it, I was like, wow. Because, I mean, I have in-ears. I have really nice in-ears that show me everything. I'm so used to hearing my maple snare. And this the tone that was coming out was just so different. Um, so I think it might be beneficial for our listeners if, if you're cool with this mic. We don't need to do this for all of our stuff. But I want to play a groove with my 14 by 5.5 maple snare drum to give everybody kind of a palate cleansing of this is a traditional standard snare drum. And then go to the 13 Cherry, so they can really hear the difference in size and wood. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, it, Cherry, I think, is closer to Birch, if, you, if you're yes. familiar with yep. the Birch t- sound. drier, a little bit punchier, less overtones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a good—this is also a great drum for any of you guys that need to crank out some volume. It's a little harder wood than Maple, so it, it has quite a, a large volume ceiling on it, so yep. I really like it. Well, let's give it a listen. All right, first, let's just start with a classic 14 by five and a half Gretsch Maple snare drum— no muffling whatsoever, and this will just cleanse your palate. This is a very standard snare drum, and it'll give you something to reference the 13 by 6 solid cherry against. <laughs> Alright, so this drum comes with an Evans G1 coated head, so that's what's on the drum. There's absolutely no muffling whatsoever and we're going to start off at a medium tuning. And now a medium to high tuning. Now full blown 311.
1: time for some listener questions so i have a few here this one's going to come this is a this is a pretty interesting one this comes from sam uh steedman or steedman however you pronounce it he was at a recording session the other day and he had 15 inch pisces giant pete hi-hats and they were producing a horrible overtone that was that you could hear from four miles away um (laughs) the producer suggested that if he dug a hole in his backyard and buried them for a while it would help change their tone
0: (laughs) wtf (laughs) So, <laughs> I love that he drops uh, an initialism <laughs> of cussing for us. Thank you. Have you heard of this method of changing
1: symbol tones? So he has uh, a three-year-old set of giant beats, 15-inch hats, 18, 20, and 24-inch multi-crashes, um, and he loves them. He thinks they're buttery and lovely, so he doesn't want to bury them, and he'll continue to play them, but he wants to know. He, he thinks that over time the, the tone will change. He wants to know what we think of the whole burying a symbol mythology.
0: Okay, so I think most drummers that have played for ten or fifteen years are very familiar with this myth: bury yeah. your cymbals in the ground for thirty days, and then they're going to, you know, grow some patina magically in thirty <laughs> days, and then they're going to have a dirtier sound. and And everyone's just trying to get that, you know, that vintage cymbal sound. Uh, so I've never tried burying them, so I can't speak to that. I can speak to something else though, which is relative to what he just said. This is Steve, right? Sam.
1: Sam, Sam like said, Steedman.
0: Oh, that's okay. Yeah. There's a little bit in there. So, uh, Sam, when I, was, when I was working on the transition ride with Meinl, we decided, when we finally came up with the prototype and said, okay, this is it. From that moment on until the first actual transition ride was produced in Turkey, made it to Germany, got finished and sent to me, it was about six months. So, we had agreed, this is the prototype. I loved it. Uh, I sent it in then they sent it back what happened was i got the first transition ride and it was so bright so bright and i immediately called norbert at Minal symbols and i said dude i sent you the prototype and the transition ride you just sent me is way higher pitched and he's like but of course it is and i was like uh well then it's clearly not the ride and he's like you need to go back and find the very i'm sorry norbert this is the best i can do on your accent (laughs) You need to go back and find the very first video you ever recorded with your prototype. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, the molecular structure of the metal changes as you beat the crap out of it. So I guarantee that symbol was much higher pitched when you first got it than it is now. And um, <laughs> that's Well the done. Best Germ- nice German sense. accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All you do is lower your voice in your German. I don't know why. So... So he was right. I, I watched the first video I ever recorded with it and the cymbal was higher pitched and over the course of a year and especially cuz I crash on my ride a lot, I don't just ride on it, the pitch eventually lowered in timbre and then the transition ride did the same. So that does happen, but so but I don't it, it's not a fast process. Now, have you ever buried your cymbal? I have not. I mean, I've uh... I've done you know
1: shoe polish on it and trying to do whatever I can. But all that stuff is doing is just trying to mute it down a little bit. So if it comes down to just overtones, I think you could get away with just a tiny little piece of gaffer's tape on the underside of it. It's going to totally do the agree. same thing as like digging a freaking hole in your backyard and getting mud, or you could just get some topsoil and just rub it all over your symbol. I do not believe that it's that it will change the symbol on a molecular level as much as it just not. playing it. You know, putting your now I do think. That that you you part of your DNA goes into these into your instrument. Maybe not I don't not specifically unless you're bleeding all over it, right? But the DNA of your playing yes. becomes part of the symbol. So if the more you hit it the way you play, the more it's gonna it's gonna become one with your style. Now he has agree. he has had these things for three years, so I'm going to say that it's probably a case of the giant beats just being too bright of a symbol to begin with. Because I have a set of them. Totally. Um and I've they sound beautiful if you're in a nice warm wooden room. If you're in anything with concrete or brick, they're just too bright. They're just too harsh. They don't they're not designed to possess that low warm tone. Um, yes they are buttery and they feel great and they kinda give you that John Bonham sound, but these would not be my choice if I'm going to a random studio that I don't know what I'm getting into
0: yeah they are definitely a specialty thing and <clears throat> we talk about that at camp a lot with the campers that they're always telling me I have this snare drum it cost $800 and I want it to sound like this and I'm like well then you got the wrong drum like you want your your 14 by 3 yeah. piccolo <laughs> to sound like John Bonham's snare drum I'm like I'm, I'm sorry I don't care how much it costs you got the wrong one you got the right one for what it does it does exactly what it does and yeah. so with cymbals there's a reason why you know I have a signature ride symbol called the transition ride. I have like nineteen rides. Yeah. Because the transition ride isn't the only ride. It's like I get to a situation I'm like, oh, that is way too much ride for tonight. There's no amount of gaff tape in the world that's gonna help that. I'm gonna pull out this ride. Or, God, my ride sounds dead tonight. Let me get something with a little more life to it. You know, I'll pull out the twenty two inch Benny ride and to let it do its thing. So so yeah, so I, I think if anything, Sam, maybe just think of having uh, another another set of Hiats. It's like okay, these are my mushy, bushy guys, and then I have the kind of bright, beautiful, giant beats from Peisty. So yeah,
1: I would think you could probably get the exact same sizes in the <clears throat> traditional series or a, a Dark Energy series, and then yeah, then you're covered. So I, I mean, totally agree. That's that's. So first of all, I would always carry some tape. So if someone says your hi-hat is a terrible overtone, you can probably tape it out and get you yes. know, done with it. But ultimately, you'd be like, all right, well, these are the wrong symbols for
0: this situation. Let me try mm-hmm. some other ones. So, Yeah, and don't think that, you know, a lot of it has to do with the thickness, too. I have some 14s that are way, way mushier and darker than my 15-inch dual hats. Yeah. So it's, it it you know, uh, the 15-inch uh, vintage Pures, those things are brighter than any 13s i have so it has a lot to do with the thickness of the metal too right well i hope that helps yeah don't don't dig up your your garden just yet could you imagine that you can't even figure out where you buried them <laughs> out there looking for the oj glove Jeez louise <laughs> i mean i love i love the the mystique of it but i think right we're, we're in a day and age when come on now bs yeah. is bs yeah, don't put your snare drum in the freezer. Don't bury your <laughs> cymbals. Just, just play them. All right, the next one is coming from Sean. Uh, he wants to know if
1: anyone has ever mixed bearing edges on a drum. So would you do mm-hmm. a baseball bat on one side and a, a double 45 on the other? Um, you know, What would that do to the sound? It, it's definitely wow. done all the time, uh, mostly on snare drums. Okay. I don't think mixing a bearing edge on a tom is going to give you much of a difference because the, I mean, different bearing edges will, will affect the sound tremendously. But on the snare drum, a lot of guys are doing like a rounded top. Like even, I think our anniversary three-ply has a rounded top, but the bottom is not rounded. It's sharper. Okay. So that gives you more snare sensitivity while still getting that kind of gushy, pillowy response on the top. See, I, I think any any custom shop is mixing them up now.
0: I don't think anyone's done it on toms or bass drums. I could be wrong, but well, I'm sure people have tried it. But if they're not doing it, it's because they did try it. Yeah, it's probably not making a difference. Yeah, right.
1: <clears throat> so yeah, I would check it out. I mean, if you want like a a vintage snare drum, but it still has some crisp response, then that would be the round over top, and then some sort of slightly rounded bottom.
0: Nice. So, yep. Yeah.
1: So that's it for that one. Thanks, Sean. All right, we've got. Okay, this is. Um, this is from Michael Beachy. I guess it, he had asked you previously about your thoughts on studying with multiple teachers at once. Yep. Um, and I guess maybe that was lost in translation. So he was he was saying he wouldn't go to study with one person for, like, hand technique and one person for foot technique. He was thinking more stylistically, like, I go study jazz with this guy and big band or punk or sure. weird soloing concepts with a different guy.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's um, – yeah, he's one of our online students. And unfortunately – Sometimes since we're reading questions that are being typed, um, things can get lost in translation. And we've even started now in our live broadcast, we're accepting videos from students so that we actually play the video of the question of the student, So I can see their face and I can really see, you know, the tone that they're asking the question with. And it's really helping me to give better answers. But I, I would still, my advice would still be the same. I, I just think committing yourself to something is better than getting a bunch of C minuses in 10 different subjects. I, I just I would like you to have that time in your life where you say, like, that was the jazz period of my life. I, I worked mm. with this jazz teacher, and I really put, put a lot into it. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to practice anything else, but I think it'd be very hard. I've studied with teachers since I was five years old, and I've always had a hard time keeping up with the material that that teacher gave me. Because I wanted to get it down so well. So I can't imagine trying to do Will Kennedy's pocket lesson that he gave me while doing Pete Magadini's polyrhythm lesson while trying to do Jim Riley's train beat. Mm -hmm. Um, And knowing that I actually have to show up in person with these guys and deliver at the level that I want to deliver this stuff. Um, I I worked on one lesson. We were doing Freedom Land. Uh, Will Kennedy was teaching me Freedom Land. And and he wasn't teaching me the song. He was using the song to teach me a very specific skill set. But God, we did that for I think three months yeah. of weekly videos, me sending him videos, him answering in a in a hotel saying like – I mean being very, very honest in his critique and he's like, sorry, send me a video <laughs> next week. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's not there. Uh, but there was no more information that needed to be there. He's like, you need to fellowship with this. You need more time with it. Yeah. So I think – you know, unless you're saying like, yeah, every time I'm come to my lesson, I just knock it out of the park, and I'm just so blown away by how incredible I am. Which, Michael, I've met you; you're one of the most humble people out there, so I know that's not the case. But I, I you know, I really think that zoning in on one thing can be beneficial. Now, you might have a completely opposite opinion. I do. It's funny. Bring this might it. be
1: our, our complete Tyler. Uh, Tyler, here it comes. <laughs> by the way, he tried to start a fight with us online the other day. What? Yeah, he said. I think it's him. He sent me a message and he was. You know, talking all kinds of smacks, saying you're saying this. I'm like, dude, stop!
0: Ain't nothing you can say. (laughs) (laughs) You can't break up Mike and Mike. I get the same name, fool. Uh, All right, we'll bring on your opinion.
1: And well, uh, we'll I mean, it's. I guess it's it's contrasting, but it's also complimenting. Like, I wouldn't go study the same thing with multiple teachers. So I wouldn't study jazz with one guy on Monday and jazz with another guy on Thursday. But what I I've always done just by the way I've my studies I mean I studied classical percussion with one guy, I studied technique with one of uh, Joe Morello's students, so I was getting like the source from him. Okay. And then I studied like like concepts, jazz concepts, with another guy. That was and in this high all school. in the same week. Yeah, same week. Okay. This was in high school. Um, and then I went to music school, and when you're in music school, you have like thirty different teachers. So, True. I was studying marimba with one of the best marimbas, Shi Wu, one of the best marimbas in the world. She was demanding two, three hours of practice a day. I was studying drum set with a great jazz drummer out of Pittsburgh. But, you know, drum set I kind of pushed on the back burner in college, but still, I had to practice that about an hour a day. I was practicing rudimental drumming with one of the best drum corps uh, snare drummers of all time, Aaron Gidry. He was, I think he, uh, he placed in one of the PAS solo competitions, so he was demanding. So it's hard for me to say, uh, from my own experience. I mean, I was I was taking four lessons a week, right? Uh, and it just shaped me. But I'm the, I'm, the, I'm I'm a
0: certain mentality where bring it on. I'll I'll take it any and all. Uh, well, you know, and and maybe Michael's of that same mentality. I think really what it comes down to now, hearing your experiences, is try it. Right. You know, give it two or three months and see, are you making more progress than you were making when you were focusing on one thing? If you're the type of person that can compartmentalize this stuff and you need to kind of put in your 45 minutes of jazz and then say, "Okay, I just need to work on my hands. I can't do this stuff anymore. It might work out really well for you. But I think you just have to be honest with yourself and two or three months into the process, find out. Are you are you progressing faster than you were three or four months ago? If so, then this is a great thing for you. Um, there's if there was only one way to do it, we'd all do it that way, and we'd all have the same results. Yeah, but exactly. Everyone has a different journey. So, yep, cool. So we have
1: a couple more, but we're getting towards the end of our hour here, so we'll save we'll save that.
0: Sweet. And we'll move into our picks. All right, pick of the week. Uh, My pick of the week was something or is something that I used to be really, really into, man. And it was a gateway for me into jazz at a time that I had truly given up on jazz. And so I'm talking like I'm in my early 30s. I've done every jazz band that California has to offer. I've done swing music. I've done combo jazz. I've done sit in the gig at the you know local cafe where the jazz cats are hanging. Right. And so I've I've given it my go, and I'm just like I'm done. I just it's not my thing. No big deal. Yeah. Walk away. Mm-hmm. So, a friend of mine says you got to check out this cat Willie Jones the third. He plays with Roy Hargrove. You're gonna dig him. And uh, so I said okay, and it was the RH Factor. So it wasn't uh, Roy doing jazz. And so I was like, all right, I'll check it out. So we go down to Yoshi's and the RH Factor, the album at the time was called Distractions and it brought me back. And I realized jazz did not have to be Spangling. It didn't have to be ding, jing, yeah. ding. I mean, there is the history there, but it doesn't have to be that. And there was this kind of gray area where it was almost like a a mix between jazz, traditional jazz with a little bit of I would say R&B slash hip-hop pocket that I was like, wait a minute. This is totally swinging. 90% of it is improvised, so the rules of jazz apply. But every once in a while, there's a little backbeat, and I can follow it a little bit more. And there's super, super hooky melodies going on in this album. And I, I obviously was seeing it live, but I went home and I bought the album. And there's vocals on the album. And it was just all of a sudden, Roy Hargrove brought me back. And then... Later is when I discovered what Mark Giuliano was doing uh, with Avishai, and I started finding all this new music where I was like, wait a minute, this is jazz too, and this isn't ding, -ding, jing-a-ding, jing-a-ding. And so it made me realize that jazz was bigger than I ever thought it was, and... It was okay to enjoy this kind of music so the album is called the rh Fa- or the the artist even though it's roy hargrove it's under the title of the rh factor and the album is called distractions and i believe willie jones iii is on most of that album but it's just brilliant music and then i mean that led into god all the stuff that uh who's the is it a vibe player uh terry angoli plays with oh, him stefan uh, harris Stefan Harris, yeah. you know, that led into that world. And then some of the stuff that Christian McBride was doing and, and mm-hmm. it was like, oh man, there's this whole world out there besides what, besides traditional jazz. And yeah. so, so yeah, definitely check it out. Distractions by the RH
1: factor. <coughs> it's funny because when Hargrove first came on the scene, he was like a bebop guy. I mean, he right. was blazing Clifford Brown, Lee Morgan style trumpet. It was great to see him kind of change and evolve and, and still stay tied to the tradition. I mean, there's no, there's no disputing that he's a jazz trumpet player playing creative contemporary jazz. That's
0: yeah, awesome. I mean, I think that there's... I would love to alert our listeners that aren't into jazz to more stuff like that. Christian Scott, especially yeah. that first album with... Uh, was it Rewind That with uh, uh, Thomas Pridgen? Yep. And just, you know, it doesn't have to be what you thought jazz was to be jazz. And yeah. jazz is evolving, and it's, it's beautiful. So, is there a, a price cap on our uh, picks of the week? No, no. Tesla Model S. Let's do it. What's your pick?
1: I, I was going to say iMovie for for the iPhone, but I've had probably fifty of the exact same question this week. Okay, what is the ride symbol that I used on my Jim Riley Straight Ahead Jazz uh, demo video,
0: which was awesome? By I mean, the way. it's
1: like I can't believe that I've answered it a hundred times now and it's the Zildjian 20 inch uh, Constantinople Renaissance ride. Oh. it might be the best kind of jazz ride I've ever played. It's it's pretty spectacular. It's super thin. So you have to kind of you have to be careful with your touch or it'll 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 spray out all over the place. But I just couldn't I couldn't believe how many people asked, "What is that ride symbol?" Cuz I mean, it's, really? a, it's a ride symbol. It's a it's, yeah. a, it's <laughs> like I don't think I didn't expect people to be like, "What's the ride?" But so
0: you're, you're saying that when you were setting up for this video, you weren't, like, spending six hours picking out your ride. You're like, I'll just grab my favorite ride and I'll throw it on. Yeah. I mean, what,
1: exactly how it went down was that I had done – because I, I told Jim I'll do a couple of videos to, to help promote his new book, Survival Guide okay. for the Modern Drummer. So I did one that was kind of like a, like a fat Black Crows kind of a sound. Okay. And I had, the, I had the two Renaissance rides. I had the 20 and the 22 up, and I was using those on that track. So then when I got to the Jazz, one, I just left the cymbals off, <laughs> and I changed out the kit. <laughs> but the 22 was a little bit you know, overbearing. So I was like, all right, okay. get rid of the 22. I'm just going to use the 20. So it just it just kind of became – By the, I mean, those are two of my favorite cymbals on earth. But it wasn't like I played, looks like, 100 ride cymbals and, and found that one. But So 20-inch 20 20 – 20-inch, say it again. Uh, Zildjian twenty-inch K Constantinople Renaissance ride. It was dev- designed with Adam Dustbaum.
0: Oh, okay. And then, where does this fall price-wise? It's it's up there. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't remember.
0: It's come on. There. You know what it is. They're all the same. Probably, probably what one hundred and fifty dollars. It's
1: in the it's in the three plus range. I'm sure.
0: I'm gonna find it. <laughs> but it's a beautiful uh, symbol. It makes a good crash symbol, too. Yeah, no, I, I could tell. It was it was awesome. I'm, um, yeah, I'll probably not be able to find it, but yes. there's K-Custom. but Okay. Well, I would assume it's probably the same as most of their stuff. I just want to see what a Zildjian 20-inch K. Um, yeah, 350. So it's not – I mean, it's probably a little bit more than that because it's a Constantinople, but that's not insane by any means, yeah. especially if it was something that could become your main symbol for the people that are really in love with it. Um you know that's that's awesome. So yeah,
1: that's that's my pick. So I use it actually most of the time as a crash because it has just a beautiful kind of like what your uh, what's that crash you like the uh, the
0: oh thunder butter
1: yeah the, the twenty inch
0: extra thin hammered crash
1: yeah so it's it's probably very similar to that. It Got just it. has that like as soon wow, as you then, hit it it just makes you <laughs> smile kind of kind of
0: thing. Yeah, that's you know it's so funny. I, it's it's very hard, especially when people are new. Oh. <laughs> Damn! I just typed in the search and Musician's Friend is all over my email account now <laughs> trying to show me Zildjian Rides. Damn it. Like, I'm geez. telling mine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two seconds. Slow down, MF. My goodness. Jeez um, yeah, Louise. Okay. Hey, real quick. English. Do you have an English major? Did you take English classes to do what you do? Are you talking to you know me? Any- yes. Do, do you know anything about the, our language? <laughs> Are you being a a jerk? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, I'm asking. I didn't know if you had a degree in. Okay. The only thing I was going to ask is, do you know, do you know the answer to this? Would MF be considered an initialism and then NASA be considered an acronym? Because I think acronyms have to be, you have to actually say it as a word. So FBI is an initialism. And then, okay, is that correct? It is, but it's strange because MF, wait wait a minute, which word are you talking? (laughs) I'm talking about musician's friend. (laughs) <laughs> Dirty bird, get your mind out of God. I was
1: thinking it's just one word, so it's just short for a curse word.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> is that
1: one word? Initialism. That's an initialism.
0: Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Okay, yeah, an cool. acronym
1: has to be a word.
0: Exactly. Yep. So NASA is an acronym. Yeah. Um, okay, and and FBI is not an acronym because we don't say Fibby. Right. Exactly. It's initialism. Initialism. Got it. Good. <laughs> Fine. Why would I? <laughs> you think I'm gonna dog you out in a podcast and be like, Do you even I know don't our know. language, pal? I mean, I've I've made mistakes before. (laughs) Not not to the point that I'd call out your language skills. I was just asked. pretty much I was trying to find a polite way to be like, hey, are you like way smarter than me or just a little bit smarter than me? (laughs) All right. So, guys, we will be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Mike is in the middle of a course on Mike'sLessons.com, so we'll get a review from that next week. Maybe we can even get a video of, of you. Which course did you choose? The Advanced fills. advanced fills so maybe we can get a video of you playing one of those advanced fills and getting your take on it uh but in the meantime everyone if you get a chance please give our podcast a four to five star rating it really helps other drummers find this podcast and that is our goal is to just make drummers feel a little more in the loop understand the industry a little bit better and most importantly understand that we are all on this journey together and whatever you're going through mike and i have already gone through it or we're going through it ourselves so until next time that's a wrap